Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this new day, and I thank you for these men and the encouragement that it is uh, just to see them all here and to be with them this morning. Thank you for uh, the things that we'll get to talk about this morning from your word, that we get to talk about um, what you do to save a sinner and uh, what you have made us into in Christ now that is so gloriously better than what we were without him, but is but, but pales in comparison to what we will be when we are with him face to face. Help us to understand um, the power of um, your gospel in our lives and what it does to transform us. Help us today to understand then what obligation we have in this new condition that you've made us into, that we might be good stewards of what we are in Christ. Um, and so, God, we pray that you would draw near to us, that you would make our minds alert, that you would give us insight into your word and that you would fill us with um, love, not only for you, but love for each other, Lord, as we make um, meet new men that we haven't met before. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would stand side by side with each other in the trenches of walking with Christ, uh, that we would be an encouragement to one another, that we would um, help keep a hold of one another as we seek to pursue your son through your word. So Lord, help us this morning. Draw near to us as we now draw near to you and bless our morning for your sake. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As you come in on that back table, you check your name off on the attendance list, uh, and then there will always be the um, there will always be the hand up there. There'll be one that has a colored sheet, paper clip to whatever else. Um, the the white sheet is what we'll take notes on for the day. The colored sheet on the back, whether it's blue like last week or yellow this week, that's your homework just to have it stand out in your mind. Um, and so that's the homework that you'll do for the next time we meet together, okay? So you always want to grab one of those. And they're made, today is kind of odd because you've got this, um, you know, uh, fold-out handout thing that we're going to be walking through as well. Uh, you won't get something like this every time. This is like handed out to you and then you'll want to just keep this with you um, and put it in your, your build notebook and bring it each time. And we'll walk through that today. And there might be some other handouts. I'll try to help you out with that. Then you just come in and you eat all the food that you can, drink all the coffee and juice that you can, and just try to stay awake. That's it. That's the goal, really, at a basic. Um, and then the Spirit has expectations for you that you don't even know about in your life, um, that He will be working on, and you'll just have to come along with it um, as you discover that. So anyway, so glad that you're here. A uh, couple announcements. Um, one main one. Our next meeting together, if you were to look on your uh, schedule in your notebook, is October 11th. It's a Saturday, obviously. It says no class, but there's the men's conference. That, that actually is class. I want you, if at all possible, to sign up for the men's conference. Uh, it's Friday night, October 10th, and Saturday, October 11th. Um, and it's important for you to sign up um, before, uh, it's important for you to sign up before Monday. Is that right, John? Yeah, before Monday, if you can, because the price is going to go up 17%. It's going to go from, I figured that out this morning. I don't know why. It's going to go from $30 to $35. Okay, hopefully that won't break you, but if you sign up before Monday, you'll save five bucks. And what that $30 gets you is, um, uh, some snacks on Friday night while we're here, and we'll provide lunch for breakfast and lunch for you on Sunday, on Saturday, and uh, just helps us with uh, getting our speaker here and things like that, just to cover the bare cost. So it's a really simple conference. It's going to be right here in this room. Hopefully, we'll have 
uh, over 100 guys is what we're aiming for. Um, Northwest Community Church is going to join us. Uh, their men and hopefully a Santan Bible Church will also join us and some other guys from around the valley. Um, so it's, it's the fall men's conference that we've been kind of doing with the other churches every year. Um, we're bringing in um, a good friend of mine, Paul Lamey. Uh, Paul and I met when back in 2006 to 2009 when I was working on my doctorate um, at Master Seminary in um, and both of us were assigned to each other. We picked each other to encourage each other to not quit. Um, that's kind of a, a weird thing to be sitting there in a room with seven guys who are in your class. And Rick Holland, the instructor, says, pick somebody. And you don't know anybody. And so you just look across the table and you go, you know, friends, you know. And... Um, and we're like, okay, we did that. Now what are we going to do? A group, you know, like a group project or something. And and Rick says, you guys, um, your job is to make sure that the other guy doesn't quit. And so everybody kind of chuckles, and then it gets really quiet, and Rick's just straight faced, looking at you. And sure enough, over the next three years, that's what Paul and I did. He's he's in Huntsville, Alabama. He's a preaching pastor at his church, and we did that over and over, just encouraging each other. Keep going, keep pressing. You you know, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. Um, so we, we developed a lasting friendship. He, he's been reading the same Bible that we've been reading, and he loves the same things that, that we love. And he's going to come and talk to us about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, and I think it's going to be surprising to you. Um, I, I've been talking about this a little bit with um, uh, just wherever I get a chance to. Christians talk a lot about what, how the Spirit works in their life. Um, you can hear that the spirit led me to do this, the spirit, this, the spirit, that. And my question is, as I hear us as Christians just talk, are we, are we referring to things the Bible says that the spirit is and does, or are we referring to things that we just hear each other say, and maybe it's not necessarily what the Bible says. And so that's what we want, right? We want to understand each member of the Godhead according to what scripture says, not according to what the, the clan says. And has been saying so I think it's going to be surprising for you and I think it's going to be intensely practical for you you'll even see this morning uh, we'll talk about the role of the spirit uh, in your life even today a little bit so uh, guys it'll make a huge difference in your understanding of who the, the spirit is um, and, and make every difference in in their practical living every day okay so sign up for that do it before Monday you save five bucks um, but my intention with putting it in the, the calendar there like it's one of our meetings, it, I want it to be that. I want you to be there if you can, um, if at all possible. If you need help financially, just let me know. We'll take care of it for you, okay? Don't want that to be an obstacle for you, um, if at all. All right, what I'd like for you to do next is I want you to turn your notebook over on the back side, and you'll notice that on the back side we have all six of the leadership spiritual disciplines that uh, we um, have in build that we want to focus on. We focus on some of them a lot more than we do others because the first three are really key, um, foundational, um, and four, five, and six are, are less so. Uh, but let's just run through them briefly. What are we talking about in discipline one? Um, and first off, even at the top of your page, what we're, what we're doing with build is we're calling the men of the church to unite around these six leadership disciplines. 
Uh, we don't want one portion of men doing one thing in the church, uh, trying to figure out what it means to be a godly man over there. And then there's another group of guys that meet and it's a little different. And they're trying to figure out what it means to be a godly man. And then there's each small group trying to figure out what its men should be as godly men. We're, we're trying to say right here, this is what we want to emphasize and go after and unite ourselves around as a church overall. Now, go take this to each of your small groups. Be this in each of your small groups. Be this in Next Generation Ministries. Be this in student ministries. Be this wherever you serve in the body. Do you understand? We're trying to unite ourselves around these core leadership spiritual disciplines. The first one has you focus on your heart. It's called the heart. And the main idea there is that we're calling you to discipline yourself, to uh, bring your hearts before the Word of God so that you know the God of this word. You come to the word of God to know a person. Okay? You don't come to the word of God to win a theological debate at work. You don't come to the word of God to primarily put together a lesson for a small group or for your family or, or whatever. But you come to the word of God in order to know God, to love him, to fear him, to worship him, to enjoy him, to grow in your obedience of him, to delight in him. If you skip that, if you miss that, what kind of man will you be? I mean, add all the other uh, external things you can add to a man's life. But if you miss that and you're not that kind of man with the word of God, what are you? I'll tell you what you are. I know what I've been when I slip in this. I'm a hollow man. I'm, I'm shallow. I'm empty. Because we want to come to the word of God to know the God of the word, to cultivate a relationship with him there. The second discipline flows off of that, and that is the first place of impact that you must make being that kind of man is where? Your household. Your household relationships. And it doesn't matter if your kid's still living at home under mom and dad and you have siblings. You work on that now. In fact, student ministries here at Grace Bible Church, this is what we're working on. I mean, any of the guys can tell you. This isn't anything different, right? It's the same thing. We're just trying to grab a guy at age 12 or 13 and say, focus on your heart with the word of God, with the gospel, and, and then step into your home and care for the people in your household. Do that. Um, labor there. Impact them with the word of God in your heart. Then, third discipline, you're ready to step into the lives of people in the church and outside the church. Where you work, where you go to school, you're ready to, to have ministry in people's lives. And, and your ministry will be night and day different. If you're caring for your heart well with the Word of God and you're caring for the people in your household well with the Word of God, when you step into the lives of people, wherever it is you work, wherever it is that God has you, there's a life of integrity. You're the same person in all three places. How many times does the, the church find itself in a world of hurt because a leader in a church played leapfrog over his own heart, wasn't taking care of his own heart with the Word of God, and he played leapfrog over uh, his household and his family doesn't like him, but boy, is he busy in the church. And then what happens? Everything falls apart and the church is left trying to pick up the pieces and put the puzzle back together. Uh, we're trying to say now, let, let's just focus on the disciplines that will help protect us from that, will help protect you from that. Um, the fourth discipline then is on the qualifications. Um, deacon qualifications and elder qualifications. We're going to expose you to what those are. We want you to aim for character and quality of life that might rise to the level of being qualified to serve as a deacon or an elder in this church or in any church that God would have you be at. The fifth discipline is the hermeneutic, uh, which is the way that we interpret the Bible. We're going to expose you at the end of this year to the, the set of rules for interpreting the Bible, for getting the meaning out of the text that you see modeled every week in the pulpit. 
Um, preaching is public hermeneutics. When, when Smed preaches or when I preach, what we're aiming to do is, is um, teach you how you should be handling the Word of God when you're on your own. And we want to help you begin to be exposed to that, understand that, and begin to practice that. Um, so that as you open your Bible, you're getting the meaning that's from the text. You're not bringing an idea that you have in your head from someplace else and pushing it down onto the text, but you're drawing the meaning that is there out of the text. So we'll encourage you to uh, start thinking that way. And then the last discipline is take all of these disciplines and employ them at Grace Bible Church under our vision and our purpose, which is what I covered last week, and I showed you how build fits into that, okay? So that's what we're going to be focusing on. If you look at your schedule, um, you don't have to do it right now, but we're going to do the heart, the home, the heart, the home, the heart, the home. We're going to do those heavily at the beginning, and then we're going to hit the ministry, and then we might go back to the heart and remind ourselves about that one. We're just going to keep cycling through them like that till the end of the year, okay? So there's an exposure to the disciplines. Every Saturday after we get in, we all get seated down. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to review through those disciplines. We're going to talk through them in a different way. Um, you're going to hear somebody, other, guys other than me, talk about it so that you don't hear the same thing from me about how I think of it. Um, and we're just going to review it. Not because um, you forgot it every week, but because we just we want to have this be ingrained in us, okay? All right. And then... We will always try to do our discussion groups first, and that's what we're going to do next. You're going to want to have your chart sitting out someplace, ready to go, because we're going to make reference to that. This is um, this chart is a is a um, we redid it. If you were in build last year and you got one of these, this one's different than last year's. Uh, it, this is a refining of last year's. This is the fruit of what we've been like trying to figure out for the last 10 years as we've been um, talking about focusing on the gospel, what it means to be saved, how does discipline one fit into that. What, I, what I'm really going to try to do today is run through this, which is um, kind of a, a, a theology of salvation. Um, just to give you a sense of what, what God does to save a sinner. If you'll notice the way that it's even just laid out on the chart, there are three different main sections. Uh, the unregenerate man, the regenerate man, and the heavenly man. And we're obviously, if you are in Christ, you're in the middle portion there. We're going to talk about that. And, and basically, we're going to make a case today for why discipline one and build is so important for this guy in the middle, for the regenerate man. Okay? And hopefully you'll be convinced through God's word that, oh yeah, I've got to come before the word of God every day, prayerfully, worshipfully, uh, to know God. I, I have to. It's a non-negotiable. So, with all that in mind, and I'm just going to give you the warning right up front, we're going to be everywhere in your Bibles. I'm going to drive for the next hour, and I'm going to go fast. And, and so you're going to need to do whatever you can to keep your brain going. Um, I'll do what I can to uh, help you. But this is, this is fire hose morning. It's going to get all over you. You're not going to be able to take it all. But we put it in on a, on a chart. This is something that you're going to want to just take some time getting to know. This, you know, sometimes you, can, you, you hand out a business card and you can look at it and you got it, what it's all about, right? Bang, I know what this is about. This is not a business card. You don't look at this and go, oh, yeah, 
I got it. You don't do that. You look at it and you go, what, this, what is this? And it takes some time getting used to it. And, uh, but we've tried to simplify it, organize it a little bit better. And we'll walk through that. With that in mind, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us and to give us uh, minds that can endure at least as long as our backsides can endure as we're sitting here. Okay? All right, so let's do that. Father in heaven, we do ask for you to come and help us and guide us and sustain us and open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that we would be greatly encouraged to see what it is that you have done to save sinners, um, to save me, to save these men. And I pray, God, that your word would be powerful in our lives, that um, we would draw great encouragement and uh, that, Lord, we would be convinced that we must draw near to you through your word so that we might be pleasing to you in this new condition you've put us into. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you've got your worksheet there. You can kind of take notes on your worksheet and then kind of make reference to your um, handout there, the, the, the card. Let's do this. Let's open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at two main passages. We're going to kind of let this be a blend of looking through a specific passage and then running through a whole bunch of passages. So we're going to be in Romans 8 for a while this morning, and then we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 for a while, and then we're going to be in a whole lot of other places. So what we're going to talk about first, the outline that you have on the paper follows the chart. Okay, so number one, the, the unregenerate man, that's what we're going to talk through now, and that's the left panel on your um, chart that you have. Okay, if you notice at the top of the chart where it says the unregenerate man way at the very top, you'll notice that the, the, the unregenerate man is kind of a, a grayish, darkish, and there's a little bit of an outline of, of an outer part of him and a darker inner part of him. Um, the outer side of him is his members. Um, that's your body, your physical part of you. Um, and then you have the inner man. And we're going to talk about that. If you drop down a little bit lower on that left panel, the unregenerate man, you'll see that he's described as being unrighteous. You'll notice underneath the unregenerate man that, it, that we call it an unmixed sinful condition. And, it's, and it, we've got some typos here. I, I apologize for that. It's, it's who a person is without Jesus. So we're describing now... A person without Jesus, okay? It's not who is a person who is without is. we got too many is's in there. So you try to catch all these things, and then you send it to print, and then you, you still can't catch them all. Uh, all right, so, but we're going to use Romans 8 to help us understand this unregenerate man. So here we go, verses 5 down through 8. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh... They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. Now, he's obviously doing a contrast back and forth, and we're going to focus on the one first. Okay, so back in Romans 8, verse 5, um, here's how you can think of yourself before Christ came into your life, men, that you were according to the flesh. That's what your life could have been described as. 
Your life before Jesus was this. You were according to the flesh. This is how we come into the world. We do not come into the world any other way except according to the flesh. What is flesh? Um, you need to let each passage determine its meaning. Just It has a variable use. Um, Christ took on flesh, did he not? But by when we say that, that the word became flesh, we do not mean that he became sinful. So flesh in John 1 has one meaning, but in Romans 8 it has a different meaning. So you have to let each context determine its meaning. Here in this passage, it means not your tissue that surrounds your muscles and your bones. Uh, that's what it means in John 1. Jesus became flesh. Um, it's not the tissue which covers your bones and your muscles, but it is that flesh is that which is sinfully weak. Sinfully weak, it's that which falters before God and flesh, in that sense, loves to be that. Loves to be sinfully weak and loves to falter before God. It's not just that it's your flesh isn't like going, oh, but I'm just trying, God. I'm trying my hardest. No, your flesh says, I'm weak. I know I'm weak. I like it that way. I don't want it to be any other way. I want to be a faltering component of man. I want to be. That's what flesh is. It loves to be that way. And, and Paul says in Romans 8 verse 5 that we were according to that. And what that means is that that's the standard by which we lived before Christ. Before Christ was in your life, you had a standard for living and it was according to that flesh. Okay, so whenever you see Paul use according to, you can just think standard. Uh, so here's how we would say it. Verse 5, those who are operating by the standard of the flesh. So what sets the standard for living before you're in Christ? Flesh. What is flesh? Sinfully weak and faltering before God and loving it to be that way. That's the standard of your life without Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 5. I set, also look at verse 5, without Christ, I set my mind on the things of the flesh. Mind is who you are inwardly before God as a thinker, as a ponderer, as a meditator on life. So in the mind, the mind says, oh, I see what the flesh is. It's sinfully weak. It falters before God. It loves to be that way. And who I am inwardly in my mind, I set my mind, what? On that. I want that standard. So guess what? Is there in, before Christ in your life, is there any disagreement between your mind and your sinfully weak flesh? No disagreement. In unison. Loving it to be that way. The mind and the flesh together in partnership. Okay? You set your mind on the things of the flesh. It's who you are inwardly before God as a thinker. And you say, I want the standard of the sinfully weak flesh, please. I took my thinking self. I set it according to the Stanford of that sinfully weak and faltering flesh. That's how to view who you were without Christ. And again, the mind and the flesh are in partnership. They are not in conflict before Christ. Look at Romans 8 verse 6. The mindset on the flesh is death. There's another way to describe who you were before Christ was in your life. That, that's a dead condition. When the mind is set on the flesh and is living by the standard of the flesh, that's called spiritual death. That's a dead condition. Sounds like Ephesians 2.1, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember what Paul says there? 
Look at Romans 8, verse 7, the first part. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. Um, Verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Oh, let's do all of 7. I'm sorry, I skipped it. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What a, a running description of who you were without Christ. That's the left panel on your, on your hand out there. Okay? The mindset on the flesh was hostile toward God. It, it didn't even want to subject itself to God's law. And so in that condition, before Christ was in my life, before Christ was in your life, all you could be before God was a hostile rebel. It's all you could be. who was sinfully weak. And notice in verse 7 that Paul says it's not even able to do so. It doesn't have any equipping from God. This, that left panel on your, the unregenerate man, who you were without Christ, there was no equipping from God to make you able to please God. To make you able to subject yourself to God's law. No built-in equipping to do God's bidding at all in your life. Look at verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, so that, that is an in-the-flesh condition, according to the flesh condition. And as such, that kind of person cannot be pleasing to God. So, you can take that kind of person, and you can take them out of a horrible, terrible, sinful, rebellious environment... And you can put them in the middle, surrounded by Christians in church, and guess what changes? Nothing. Nothing. Because the problem is not environment, the problem is what? The man. The problem is the man. Environment has no power to change any of that. Can't. New rules will not help. New friends will not hurt. Uh, help. Uh, church won't help. All of those things will be worthless in transforming the man because none of those things address the condition of the man. And they are powerless because God did not give any of those things power to change that. He has given power to change that. We're going to get to that. But none of those things have power. Environment does not have power. What is the power of God for salvation? To everyone who believes. The gospel. But you can't change the environment around the man. It will not help him. Oh, he might get more polished on the outside, but he will still be everything here. According to the flesh, mindset on the flesh, hostile toward God, um, not able to please God. But look good on the outside, and you've accomplished nothing, except make a Pharisee. So, that's an unmixed condition. Unmixed in sin. In fact, if we even use these words in... in, um, in 8, 5 to 8, it's unmixed in death. That's a condition that's unmixed in hostility toward God. It's unmixed in its rebellion. It's unmixed in its inability to please God. Um, it's unmixed in death. There's no trace of life anywhere in that passage. No trace of life anywhere in that person. There's no trace of anything um, except hostility toward God. There's no trace of honoring God along with that in there. It's just hostility to God unmixed in rebellion. There's no trace of obedience to God in that condition. 
It's unmixed in that there is no disagreement between the flesh and the mind, the will and the heart, the deeds and the equipping. Therefore, there's no conflict within this man. Before you were in Christ, there was no conflict between you, your inner self, and all of your members. You wanted only to be what you were before God as a rebel. That's why the picture is, is gray, dark gray, and, and light gray on the outside. It, it's to show that there's, there's um, no disagreement. It is an unmixed, sinful condition. Now, you say, but yeah, but there was a time when I started to really be uncomfortable with what I was. Well, what is that? It's not you. Who was it? It was the Spirit of God beginning to bring conviction to your life, but it wasn't you. Because you weren't convicted about anything you did. Your mind was set on what? The flesh. And you loved it so. And you can't change yourself. And you don't have power to change yourself. To straighten up and fly right. God had to come from the outside, invade your life, and bring change. Now, look at the chart there. Um, you got several different passages you can look through. Ephesians 2, Colossians, Titus, and so forth. I want you to jump over to Ephesians 2 real quick in your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians 2, verse 3. I just want to point out a few different words here. Look in verse 3, Ephesians 2, 3. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging, uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So there again, Paul is saying flesh and mind are in cahoots with one another in that dead condition. Okay, do you see that? Jump over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Um, and they walk in the futility of their mind. There's the word mind. Verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So mind, understanding, heart. Verse 19, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over the totality of what they are. They say, who I am in my mind, in my understanding, and in my heart, I give myself over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. So you see, the mind, the understanding, the heart, your whole self, there's no disagreement. It's unmixed. Unmixed in sin. It only wants what sin wants. Okay, does that make sense? Um, you can see the same thing in Philippians 3. There he talks about the appetites or the belly, the, the, the desires that are in the appetites. So you can add appetites to that. Your appetites without Christ were in unison with your mind, your understanding, your flesh, your heart, your whole self. Add appetites to that. Um, even mentions your glory as they glory in their shame. What we thought was glorious was shameful. So even our standard for glory, our minds, our understanding, our heart, our flesh, our total self, our appetites, it's all going in the same direction with no disagreement. It's unmixed. Does this make sense? This is who you were without Christ. Now, you can spend some time, and I I just encourage you to go through and, and, and look through those verses more on your own. Look at the key descriptions, though, of this old condition. 
So what we've been saying, it's an unmixed condition. You see these bullet points on the left panel? Key descriptions of this old condition. Second bullet point, it's unable not to sin. You can't help but sin in this condition. Unable to please God. That's the Romans 8 we just looked at. There's no fight within. There's no fight against sin. And there's no fight for Jesus in that condition. That condition is dominated by and enslaved to sin. That condition. Sin rules every faculty within you. All of your thoughts in that condition are ruled by sin. All of your emotions are ruled by sin. All of your motives are ruled by sin. All of your actions are ruled by sin. You are unable in that condition to shepherd your heart away from sin and to God. And this is what we're going to talk about. That condition sees no need for discipline one. Why would it want that? Why would it want to turn away from itself? It set its mind according to the flesh and sin and everything. Why would it want to lead itself away from that and come to God in his word? There's no desire to take discipline one and build and say to an unbeliever, an unregenerate man, to say, bring your mind to the word of God to know him and love him. He does, that, that, that doesn't even speak the language he needs. Now, he does need the word of God. He needs the gospel, Right? But the way that you want to approach the unregenerate man is with what has power to bring change. But he doesn't have a need in his life, doesn't see a need in his life to bring himself before God's word. Um, And lastly, that condition is one that's under God's wrath and judgment. Okay, so this is what a man is without Christ. And so the question that you should be asking yourself is... um, What's God's solution to that? We've already talked about it a little bit. Let's, talk, let's go on to number two then, the regeneration event. Now what I want you to do is I want you to drop down right below the unregenerate man. Don't go to the right on the panel. Drop straight down below to the kind of the, the tannish section that says regeneration event declared righteous. Okay? So now this is what we want to look at and want to spend some time in here. Um, the regeneration event. This is God's, all of this part down below. And the regeneration event, it, it goes all the way over to, the, um, over to where death is. We took all that space there to describe. And that comes up right here. What's God's answer to this? To, to get a man from this condition, unmixed in sin, to this condition that the regenerate man, what's his answer? It's regeneration, and we describe it all down here. And it is an event, not a process. Regeneration is an event. It is not a process, okay? It's going to be very important to use these as, um, uh, as contrast with each other. Uh, let's, let's see what it says down there. Underneath regeneration event on your chart, it says it's accomplished by God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have some theological summaries of the good news of the gospel. One way to talk about what the gospel is, is it is adoption through propitiation. I think you all know what adoption is. You've got, you got a category for that, what adoption is. But what does propitiation mean? It means the satisfaction of God's wrath. God's wrath has been satisfied. So adoption as sons, where we become sons of God in the sense of being saved, it comes through God satisfying his wrath against us. So one way to describe the gospel, a theological summary of the gospel, if you wanted to share the gospel with somebody and give them a little nutshell of what it's all about, you could say, well, it's being adopted through propitiation. You'd have to probably maybe use another word. uh, Adopted through God satisfying his wrath against me. 
I got adopted because he said, there's no more, there's no more wrath in his cup. It's bone dry. When he looks at me, there's nothing that angers him anymore. He's, there's nothing he can find in it that would make him angry towards me. And I've been adopted because his wrath is satisfied, whatever, however you might say it. Another phrase, um, my favorite one, penal substitutionary atonement. This is a great theological summary of the gospel. This is God's answer to the unregenerate man. There's a penalty that must be paid in that condition. We're under the wrath of God. There's a penalty that must be paid, but it cannot be paid by this man. This man cannot pay the penalty. Who pays the penalty? A substitute. A penalty is paid by a substitute. What kind of a substitute? One with four legs and fur? No, no animal that's innocent. All of those were shadows looking forward to the the ultimate satisfaction and substitute that God had in his son. It's paid by the innocent son of God. And all of that to atone for my sin. To, to provide forgiveness of sin, to reconcile me before God, to redeem me from the slavery of sin and, and to buy me out and make me his son. So a penalty paid through a substitute to atone for my sins. These are theological summaries of the gospel. Another way to say it is we get God through Jesus' death in our place. And that comes to us through repentance and faith. The gospel doesn't come any other way except through you turning from your sin and believing that what God said he did through his son at the cross, he did. You believe that he said what he did, he actually did. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you through the regeneration event components. This is where we're going to move. Are you ready? You can set your chart aside for a moment. Um, You can look at your uh, outline. And let's just read through some of these as fast as we can because I want to be overwhelmed by the regeneration event of what God has done. John chapter 3, verse 3. Here's what it says. Catch up if you can. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Does that sound like Romans 8? And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's Romans 8. You'll find out here in a moment when we get back to it. Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's the new birth, new life, new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation, a new creature. The old things passed away. What are the old things? That. It's gone. We'll talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean in a minute. But the old things passed away and what? Behold, new things have come. We'll talk about that in a moment here. Um, Go to Ephesians 2, 4. Turn there with me. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. There's the new life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Titus chapter 3. What does Titus 3 say? Verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. 
can he save us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness? In other words, this man right here, if you give him deeds that appear to be a righteous things to do, he's not going to save you on the basis of you putting righteous deeds together in that condition. That, that would be like a child who's covered in mud from head to toe um, coming into the house and trying to clean his room. Mom would say, I appreciate you trying to do what I want you to do, but you are in no condition to do it. You offend me trying to do the right thing. You're making a mess. You are offensive in what you are. That's what God says. He doesn't save this kind of person on the basis of deeds and righteousness because this person's a mess. Okay? Um, yes. Yeah. Maybe ask it and then I'll... I'll Ask it, and then I'll see if maybe we want to hold it to the end. I'll answer that from Isaiah. If I can remember where it is. Do you guys know where I'm going in Isaiah? I want to say it's 55. Is that right? Yeah, hold on. I'll find it. Um, nope. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. What is it? Yes. What passage is it? Is it 64? What verse? Oh, the one that I have circled? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I was thinking it was on the left-hand side of my page, and it was on the right-hand side. That's it. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Who is he talking to? Jews, who have the law, who have the temple worship, who have been going through all of the motions. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That is how God looked at the Pharisees. That is how God looks at any man who is in this condition and tries to do good things. It's like the, the illustration that I gave of a, of a son who may be trying to please mom, but he is, he is filthy from head to toe and he's only making it worse. Yeah, good question. All right, positional sanctification. Back to your outline here in the chart. What do we mean by positional sanctification? Once and for all, you're put into a position of holiness that does not change. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a couple of references there that are helpful. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. They, you're saints by calling. You, he called you into holy status. That's what saint means, a holy one. And you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. A positional once and for all event, verse 30 of the same chapter. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and he became to us righteousness and he became to us sanctification and he became to us redemption. And uh, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in those are all events. Now, sanctification is also a process. That's called progressive sanctification. This is positional sanctification. This cannot be improved upon, and it cannot be diminished by you. Positional sanctification. Look at chapter 6, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians. Such were some of you. You remember the list he gave? 
You used to be this way, but now you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Sanctified, set apart once and for all. Another regeneration component event is justification. Go back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. You see, the righteousness of God that gets declared over somebody once and for all is on the basis of faith, not on the basis of deeds or good works done. You can read more on that. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. An event, entrusting yourself to the Lord, God declaring righteousness over your life. That's the headline over your life. Verse 9 of chapter 5. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2.16 on justification, being declared righteous. I love this. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but he's justified through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You see, there's no power in putting rules before this guy. There's no power to save. There may be power to convict, but there's no power to save and to, to bring a declared righteous status over that individual. It comes on the basis of faith alone. How about imputation? What do we mean by imputation? The believers are credited with God's righteousness and Jesus gets credited with the believer's sin. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You know this verse. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. There's imputation. God made the one who knew no sin to be imputed with our sin, to put our sin upon him. Why did he do that? So that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. So the one who knew no sin, who was righteous, we get the righteousness of God in him. He gets our sin. It's a double imputation. Amazing what God did. That's God's solution to this problem. It takes God taking on flesh, coming. We got adoption. Romans 8. Go back to Romans 8. Told you we're going to be all over the place and we're just getting started. 8.14 For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, Ephesians 1.5 is um, also a verse on that, on adoption. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Galatians chapter 4, this is great. Just go back a page or two maybe. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, 
that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. If a son, then you are an heir through God. There's union with Christ. If you look in Romans 6, you'll see all kinds of united with Christ in his death, united with Christ in his resurrection. There's union language with them. Go to Ephesians 2.5. You'll see more union language. While you're turning there, I'll remind you of Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, union with him. Somehow, 2,000 years ago, how did you get there? You didn't, did you do that? How do you go back 2,000 years? How do you climb up on a man's cross outside of Jerusalem? How do you somehow get yourself on it with him? How do you somehow become one with him in that? I don't do that. You don't do that. That's what God does. That's his solution to what this problem is in our sin, right? It's amazing. We're united with Christ. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Um, And verse 6, you've been raised up with him. You've been seated. uh, He seated us with him in the heavenly places. So here's union with Christ's language. United with him in his crucifixion. United with him in the grave. United with him in being raised from the dead. United with him in ascending on high. That's you. That's you in Christ. And that is God's answer to what you were without Christ. This is what it takes to save an unregenerate man like me and you. He has to take you somehow, put you with his son on the cross, put you in the grave with him, burst you forth from the grave with him, and then put you on high with him. That's what God must do to save you. Do you understand? It's not like, hey, I'll start trying church and I'll start trying to read this and I'll start hanging out with these people. That's junk. It has no power. This is what God must do to save your soul. Let that stir you up. Let that influence the way you step into your home and you look at your kids. You look at your siblings. You look at your parents. Your roommates. Let that stir your soul. This is what God must do. Expiation. God must take away sin. Sin must be removed. What did John the Baptist say in John 1, 29? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Expiates. He takes away the sin of the world. Colossians 2, 4 talks about our sins, our transgressions being nailed to the cross with him. Taking it away. Hebrews 9 talks about it being taken away. We talked about propitiation. Wrath being satisfied. Um, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. First John two Hebrews two talks about that redemption. We are bought with Jesus blood. Go back to Galatians three. We're close to that one. So we'll save a little time. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Am I in the right spot? Yeah. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us. He did it at the price of his blood. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. What am I talking about? The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's not only that his blood paid the price. It's that his blood is the only currency that God would accept. It's currency and price. It's currency. God doesn't have any other money that he'll take. Any other currency that, it will, that will please him. That will then make him do the transaction of redeeming us. It requires the currency of Christ's blood. And it's the only price to pay. 
reconciliation. How about, um, let's do 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what God does to sin or to save sinners. Forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1, 7, we looked at that. And another event component, the old man is crucified. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not I who am living, I, me, all by myself, but Christ lives in me. Christ in me. You know what that is? It's a mixed condition. Christ in me. Christ not in me. Unmixed. Christ in me, mixed. Okay? You understand that? Regeneration event benefits. These are the benefits that come from everything that we just talked about. Here are some of the benefits. Are you ready? You are loved by God. You are loved by God because of everything that he just did. Because of, of new life, being born again, because of positional sanctification, justification, imputation, adoption, union with Christ, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness, old man crucified. You're loved now. That's the benefit. It's yours. You're loved by God. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that back in Romans 8, verse 9? He is now in you. You are indwelt by Christ, Galatians 2.20. And we'll see this in Romans 8 also. Again, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He's in me. You're indwelt by Christ. You're a member of Christ's body now. You are, each of us are individually are members of the body of Christ that God has put together. That's a benefit from what he did to save us. We are members of one another. We have confident access to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Man, this is the best news that could be given to us. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's a benefit of what God did in the regeneration event. It's ours, confident access. We are now under grace. We are now under the operating principle and power of grace in our life. Grace has power to change you. That's what, how Romans 5 ends and what Romans 6 is all about. There's grace that has power to change you. Um, you are saved from God's wrath. Romans 5, 9, you are free from condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. And you can't be separated from the love of Christ. You can't be separated from Christ. This is an, a, a regeneration benefit from the event of God causing you to be born again. The Spirit and His fruit come into your life. Citizenship in heaven and so forth. So guys, event components event benefits. None of that is a process. You never go through a process by which you try to earn your way through week after week after week after week. And then God says, okay, I've seen your process of trying to do good. And now I will give you righteous status before me. That's a process. And that is a lie. You can't do that. It is on the basis of an event, God converting you, you putting faith in Jesus Boom, once and for all event, status of declared righteousness over you. How did you get it? It's not from you. It's from God. He took your sin and he put it over on Jesus on the cross. And he took the righteousness of God and he put it on you in a moment, in an event. 
None of this is process. It doesn't take time. It happens once and for all. Adoption, justification, all of these things. And benefits. These benefits, all of this down here, if you are in Christ, none of this will ever go away. It will not improve. It will not diminish. You cannot make it better. You can't ruin it. All of this is yours once and for all in Christ by his grace in your life. Understand? That's what God had to do to save you. That's how bad you were. That's how bad we were. That's how devastating it was. God had, one of the members of the Godhead had to become like us in flesh, suffer and die as a, as a substitute in our place, an innocent one, in order to bear away our penalties so that we could become this. Okay? That's God's answer to our unmixed condition. Now, let's talk about the middle part. That's where we are. Now, go, um, go back to Romans 8. Okay? This is the best fire hose you've ever drank out of fire hose of God's word. Look at Romans 8, verse 5. Now we're going to take the parts out of Romans 8 here that refer to the regenerate man, okay? And if you'll notice on your chart, there's, there's, there's three different phases, and not because there's three defined by Scripture, but we're just trying to show that this is a process now and not an event. So the guy who's over on the left, he's a little grayer, but he's got a little bit of yellow with him, right? And the guy in the middle is a little less gray and a little more yellow. And the guy towards the other side, he's even less so. It's a process of becoming, being made righteous in your practice. You're not being made righteous um, in terms of a declaration status over you. That's already been done. But in your practice, in your progressive process nature, you are right now in Christ, increasingly being made more and more righteous in his sight. That's different than the declared righteousness over you that you cannot improve upon, that you cannot diminish. Do you understand that? So we're going to talk about now this process here. And notice what it says under the unregenerate man, that it is a mixed condition. Before that, you were, you were an unmixed condition. Now in Christ, you are a mixed condition. And this is a process of progressive renewal. All right, back in Romans 8 now, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But, now contrast, this is you, if you're in Christ. Those who are according to the Spirit. What a contrast. Those who are according to the Spirit. Remember, according to means standard. Now, there's a new standard in your life. It's not the flesh that's sinfully weak before God and falters and loves to be that way. There's a new standard. It's the very Spirit of holiness. We are according to the Spirit, verse 5. And we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So now the mind, who you are inwardly as a thinker and as a ponderer, as a meditator, now we set our mind on the things of the Spirit and His holiness. Look at verse 6. For the mind set on flesh is death, but here we are. The mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Could that be any more different than death? Life and peace. Peace primarily what? Peace with God. Peace with God. We're not at war with him anymore. We're not hostile towards him anymore. We're at peace with God. What a contrast to the old man. Look at verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. 
in the spirit rather than being in the flesh. Being in the spirit, now listen very carefully. Being in the spirit does not mean that we are not influenced by the flesh. We are still influenced by the flesh. But we are no longer in an in-the-flesh condition that's marked by an unmixed total being given over to the flesh. You are no longer that. You are influenced by the flesh, but you are not in the flesh as Paul defines it here in Romans 8. Uh, The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Look, there is the mixed condition. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you who still have flesh, you who still have indwelling sin. What a conflict. The Spirit of holiness inside a temple that has flesh and sin still. That's a battle. What do those two do with each other every day? Are they trying to make peace with each other? Is the spirit of holiness saying, okay, wait a minute. You bring to me flesh, sin. You bring to me the best that you got. I'll bring to you the best I got. And we'll, we'll just kind of keep knocking things off. And we'll, we'll agree to, on some together. And we'll kind of put our own. Is, is this what the spirit of holiness is doing inside you? Trying to find a way to make peace with your flesh and your sin? So why would I think that way? I need to set my mind on the spirit. And then I will think the way the Spirit is. I will operate according to His standard, and I won't want to make peace with my flesh. You'll see that here in just a moment. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. What a mixed condition. Now, Christ is also in you. This is what God has to do to save us. He's got to put a Spirit in us. He's got to put a Son in us to make us be able to fight against our sin. Two members of the Godhead in you, fighting. That's how bad it was. That's how bad it is. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Can you think of a a more clearer description of a mixed condition than that? The body is dead in one sense because of sin that's indwelling, but the spirit is alive within us. We're alive in our spirits because God is in us. That's the new creation. Listen, guys, that's the new creation. That's what God made. The new creation is not the heavenly man who doesn't have any sin. The new creation is a mixed creature. Get your mind around that. What you are in Christ as a new creature is a mixed bag. Spirit in you, Christ in you, sin in you. That's what God wanted to save you and make you into now. Okay. Walk through the conditions here in regenerate man. The mixed condition of the regenerate man in the middle, he's characterized by these things. Listen, you are characterized right now, if you are in Christ, by the unchanging realities that were accomplished at regeneration. So everything down below. Look, guys, you can have an awful, horrible, sinful week where you just made terrible, terrible choices. You plummeted over the edge into sin. And, and you, buy, at some point, come to your senses. And here's what you can know to be true. That everything that God accomplished for you in the event components and the event benefits that we just walked through, none of that was diminished in the least. None of it. Because your fingerprints aren't on those things. And God won't let you try to put your fingerprints on those things in your sanctification process. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, if that's the way it is, I got some ideas about what I want to do with sin. I can't ruin what God did. That's not what grace does in a life. You're going to find yourself at odds with the spirit of holiness who's battling your flesh. Right? 
Uh, you have this, the pervading benefits of regeneration. You have a new identity in Christ. You have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You have good works that God has given to you to walk in. You have an ability now to obey God. You didn't know that before, but all of a sudden you have like this equipping from God in this new creation to be able to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. But you still have proneness to sin. Go to Galatians 5. I want you to understand this. This is so important, guys. It's a mixed condition. You, you still have a proneness to sin. Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. That's going on in you right now. The flesh sets, has a set of desires and the spirit has a set of desires. The flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit sets his desires against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. There is a conflict within you right now. And, and the, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit for this purpose so that you won't do the things that you please to do in Christ. You are still drugged down by this. But that condition is not this one. Are you looking? The flesh setting its desires against the spirit and the spirit setting its desires against the flesh is not this condition. Whenever you have that struggle, you are not back here. You are not back in an unsaved, unregenerate, unmixed condition. You are a mixed creature fighting. Welcome to the Christian life. You're a mixed creature fighting. Sometimes losing. Right? This is what the Word of God says. Um, proneness to sin. Hebrews 12, 1 and 10. Um, throw off the sin which so easily, what? Entangles. He could have said, enslaves us. But he didn't. Because you're not enslaved by sin anymore. You are entangled by it. You get tripped up by it, but it ain't your master anymore. Okay? Still entangled by it. Proneness to sin. There's ongoing repentance. 1 John 1, 8 to 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? Written to believers who need to continually confess and repent. Not only are we believers, but we could equally say we are repenters. Right? Ongoing faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. I live by faith. Not only do you have a once and for all faith that you deposit into God in an event and there's a declaration of righteousness put over your life at that point, but from that faith then comes the living by faith on a daily basis. Okay? The mixed condition of the regenerate man, it requires these things, guys. You need to, sh you need to live here in this middle panel for a while. Um, this year. God, it requires this. It requires God's relentless transformation of the believer. God will not give up on making you into what he saved you to be. He won't give up. You will at times. You will fall short. You will want to quit. And God will never quit. He will keep working in you and moving you to the next level. It requires also the believer's diligent pursuit of holiness. That's what Second Peter 1 is all about. Um, be diligent to put on these qualities of godliness, knowledge, etc. In Second Peter 1, it requires the believer's wariness about sin. I want you to go to something here. Go back to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. I want you to understand this. That even when God saves you, you know this verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, you know what it's about? About the heart, right? 
Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, here's my question, and I'm just going to let you know now, it's a trick question. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Is that the heart of this person, or is it the heart of this person? Yes. Can that be said about the heart of this person? He saved you into a condition that is gloriously better than this position. It ain't nothing compared to this one yet. But in this condition, you are still entangled by sin in the heart, and you are still deceived in your heart. I am. That's why I need the Word of God, which is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Because I can't even read my own heart. Even though I'm in this glorious new condition. It's great. He gave me His Word to help me get to my heart. But when He saves you... It's not all of a sudden like you don't ever have any more sin in your heart and not deceived in your heart anymore and, and, and you're over here. This is not where you live right now. This is where you live. We're going to talk about this all year. If, if this is rocking your world and your head's spinning, just put a seatbelt on, just sit there for a few weeks and, and we'll keep working on this because we're going to just put this through our minds over and over and over again with Scripture. Mark 7, out of the heart come these things, adulteries, lying, all of these things come out of the heart. Is that the believer or the unbeliever? Yes. When you sin, where does it come from? It comes from you. It comes from me, who I am inwardly before God. All right? Um, Key descriptions of this new condition, you see the bullet points there? It's a mixed condition we're talking about. How is it mixed? Uh, let's see. Um, flesh, um, in all of its weakness, but there's also now the Holy Spirit in me. There's Christ in me. And if I use the Word, the Word can help get into my life and get to the heart. Um, so it's a mixed condition. And look, we are now able not to sin. We are able to say no to sin. Did you ever notice that when you got saved? When, when, when your conversion and, and, and things really change in your mind, we were talking in our small group about how uh, many of us were young when we got uh, when we believed on Christ, and then some kind of a event later happened later where we were we, we saw some kind of a transformation in our life. When you see that, do you, do you recognize? Did you recognize that there's an ability now to say no to sin that there wasn't before? Do you recognize that? And there is now a fight within. It's a fight against sin, and it's a fight for Jesus. Listen, guys, you may wake up every day, and you may wish you could live here. I don't want to fight against sin anymore. I don't want to fight against sin anymore. I don't want to have to fight for my obedience to God. Listen, that's not where you are. And he has provided strength and grace for you to be able to continue to fight. But the Christian life is a fight. Would you step into a cage match with a brutal person with no preparation, would you just step in? Would, uh, would you step onto a, the, the battlefield with no ammo, with no protection, with no place to take refuge? Would you do that? That's insane. If you know that you're going to go into battle, you get prepared, and you fight and you defend. The Christian life is a fight. Every day you've got to wake up relying on the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, and the Word of God to fight. To fight for obedience, to fight for uh, a fight against sin. Enslaved to God now. Romans 6 is all about that. You were enslaved to sin, now you are enslaved to God. Um, residual sin is still there, and regeneration are evident in all the faculties. Let me explain what we mean by that. Um, 
in every thought you have, there are regeneration benefits and residual sin going on at the same time. We are a mixed bag in everything. It's, we're not mixed in this sense. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, regeneration and all of its benefits operates perfectly on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and doesn't allow sin in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. But on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, Sunday's okay because we go to church. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, sin kind of just does its thing and therefore as I look at my week, I'm a mixed creature. No! Here's what it is. I have a thought. Let's stop, analyze that one thought. I have a thought that I want to see my kids grow in Jesus Christ. Are there regeneration benefits in that thought? Yes. Are there residual sin elements in that thought? Yes. I may not be able to see where, but yeah. Maybe I want my kids to grow in Christ because for an elder that looks better. I need help. Every single thought, every single attitude, every single word, every single deed we do is a mixed bag. Because we are mixed. Okay? If you ever find yourself saying, oh no, my motive's pure in this. Wave the flag. Listen, we chuckle. (laughs) I said that last week. Don't say that. You, you can't, you're just not in that. There's only one person who can say that. I have pure motives. Who's the, who on the sheet can say that? And by the way, because you're sitting here, that's not you. Just want to make that clear. Because you're here, that's not you. Okay. It'd be nice if it was you. Me. All right? And we're not under God's wrath. We are able in this condition to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to Jesus. Okay? So there's the regenerate man. All right? Is that crazy what God did to save us or what? But that's not all. I want you to now... Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. We've got to go back to Romans 8. We're not done. Romans 8. So what? That's what God did. So what? Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, because you are... In this mixed condition, you're in, you have flesh, but you are setting your mind according to the spirit and whatnot. So then, we are under obligation. Did you know that? Today and every day of your life, you and I are under an obligation. We have an obligation. Well, what is it? We have an obligation not to the flesh, but to whom? The spirit. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. And what he means there is if you are in this condition according to the flesh, if you live this way, you must and have already and will what? Die. But if you are in Christ in this condition, you have an obligation, what? By the Spirit to put, look at verse 13, Put to death the deeds of the body, and in doing so, you live. You show that you're alive. You show that you're alive. And by the way, do you know what else the Spirit of God's going to do? He's going to take this condition right here that you're in, and one day, He will resurrect it and make you this. Look at verse 11. We skipped it, and I forgot about that. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, this body that's mortal, 
and he will do it through his spirit who dwells in you. You're going to be resurrected one day and get the same kind of body that Jesus has right now, wherever that body is at the right hand of God. A real body. Okay? So you are a mixed condition. Let's look at the heavenly man. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. This is who a person will be with Christ. Now we're looking at that far right panel on your outline. Um, There are two different phases of this. There is the, the part where there is no body. That's like when you die and your body goes into the grave and your spirit goes on with God, your soul, your heart. And then there is the glorified body, like Jesus has. Jesus has a body, remember? The body that they could touch and they could put their fingers in the holes of his hand and the hole in his side and he could take fish and he could eat it in front of them. Um, That body, but that body also that he could be in a room and then, no. I don't know what that body is. Looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. But he has a body. He's not a spirit being. He has a body. Okay? So there's two different forms here of the heavenly man. Let's talk about the heavenly man here uh, according to what 1 Corinthians 15 says. And it gives um, two descriptions within that of the heavenly man to begin with. Okay? Verse 50. I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You are in a condition right now. Listen, here's how God defined his kingdom. He always has had representations on earth of his kingdom, his reign of God. It's always been there. There's never been a moment when he created. The minute he spoke and the world came into existence, his reign as God was expressed on earth. But not in totality. He's got a specific reign of God that's going to come to earth. That includes Jesus. That kingdom expression cannot be inherited by you right now in the condition you are in. Your condition of flesh and blood, this, of what we are. You're not ready for that. You are not in an in and equipping that can handle that. Flesh and blood cannot inherit that kingdom. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So there's a description of what you are now. You are perishable meaning that you can be corrupted, you can uh, perish, you can fade away, but we will then be imperishable. We will then, in that heavenly man being, be incapable of being corrupted. You will be incapable of perishing. There will be no trace of corruption in you. There will be no trace within you of that which is perishable. You'll be somebody completely different than you are now. Verse 52. The dead will be raised imperishable. Uh, Verse 53. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. Um, Now look at verse 53. This perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Right now you are mortal. You are susceptible to death. You can taste death. But you will, in the heavenly man condition, be immortal. You will not be susceptible to death. You won't be able to taste death at all in that. Verse 54. This mortal will have put on immortality. Now, watch this. At the end of verse 54. When that happens, when the perishable condition puts on the imperishable condition, when the mortal condition puts on the immortal condition, then, verse 54, then will come about the saying that is written, death is defeated. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. In that condition with Christ, then death gets swallowed up in victory. That means that will be a condition on the right panel of your page. That condition will be one that is marked by total and complete victory over death. In that condition, there will be no trace anywhere of a tie with death. Uh, Life got one and death got one. I'm tied again today in this heavenly man being. No, death is swallowed up in victory. It is gone. Life wins all the time. Only the presence of total victory over death in that condition. No trace of death nor death's former victories. Look at verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Can't find it anywhere in this heavenly man's status. You can look for death all for the rest of eternity and you'll never find it. It's gone. And look at verse 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? There's also in that heavenly man condition no presence of death's sting. Listen, before death comes to your life, you know what it does to you? It does what? Stings you. It's like a poisonous scorpion. Before it kills you, it does what to you? Stings you. Before death comes, it stings. Verse 56. Well, what is the sting of death? Is sin. The sting of death is sin. In that condition, in the heavenly man state, with Christ someday, there will be no trace of sin which stings you and brings about death. So you know what that condition is. It's unmixed in holiness. It's unmixed in holiness. It's unmixed in purity and righteousness. There's no trace of sin. There's no stinging effect that leads to death. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Where did sin get that power in stinging me to usher me into death? Well, I got it from God's rules. God's rules were put in front of me. You know what sin did? It found power to sting me. And when it stung me, it ushered me into death before God. So God's laws, they set before the sinner, they condemn the sinner then, and that is what gives sin its power. That power is one of condemnation for disobedience. That is the power in sin which stings for death. So in that condition with Christ someday, no problem. You can come in as much as you need to. Don't worry. Um, We might watch you, but that's okay. So in that condition with Christ, listen, guys, there's no trace of any power of sin anymore. In this condition, over here, not here, not today. There is a trace of the power of sin still in your life and it stings and you're going to die unless Jesus comes and raptures us. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you're going to die. But over here, there's no sting of, 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 of death in sin and it has no power. It's gone. It's an unmixed condition, right? Verse 57, but thanks be to God, he's the one who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is located in a person, Jesus. And that condition is one of total and complete victory. Now, summarizing that condition, that condition with Christ one day will also be an unmixed condition. What do you notice about the bookends on who you are now? Who you were, who you will be. What's this condition over here? Unmixed. What's this condition over here? Unmixed. What are you today? Mixed. 
Now, if I had been saving sinners, here's what I would have done. I would have just done this thing. I would skip this middle part right here like this. See, I would, well, I'd find out a way to just, I don't know how I'd do it. I'd, there we go. Here's how I'd save sinners. Let's just skip that whole middle part. Let's just go from unmixed to unmixed. And it's all good, right? But God, in all of his wisdom, gets glory. Every day when you fight against sin, and the devil in his presence says, you see everything you did for him? Do you see, God, what that one did again with, with sin? He chose sin and not you. And Jesus steps in and he says, see the hand. See that? I paid for it. And my father doesn't see him any differently now than he did when he first believed in me. Be gone. And every day, Satan is humiliated in the presence of God. And every day, God is glorified in heaven because of God preserving. God is glorified through his preserving of us in this condition, guys. How do you get there? How do you get to that condition? You know what? It's kind of shocking. You're probably going to have to die. You're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to get there. So let's trace that down to death and, and take a look at that. Okay? You depart the land of the dying and you go home. Look at Second Corinthians uh, look at that first statement. There's the disintegration of the inner and the outer man. Now, when I think of the word disintegration, the first thing that usually comes to my mind is like blowing up, right? Destruction, the complete and utter just destruction. What does integration mean? You take pieces and you what? Put them together and you make a whole. Well, when you die, guess what happens? You take the whole and you pull them apart. You disintegrate them. You pull them apart. What gets disintegrated? Your inner man and your outer man get disintegrated. They get pulled apart from one another in death. Do you understand that? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that's the outer man, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. It is eternal in the heavens. God will separate the tent from the eternal building, and it's in the heavens. Verse 8, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from this body and to be at home with the Lord. You disintegrate these two things and separate them in death. You have a safe journey home. Paul is in prison in 2 Timothy 4. He knows he's about to die, and he says, God will rescue me and get me to his eternal kingdom. You say, but how is he going to rescue you? You're going to get your head chopped off. He's like, I know. But in separating me from my body, he'll deliver me safely to his eternal kingdom. It has to come through death. Unseparated from Jesus, though, no matter what, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Not even death can separate you. And you are still alive. Do you remember what Jesus said to uh, Mary or Martha, the brother of Lazarus? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Keep living even though you die. In 1 Thessalonians 4, you know what this is called? Right there. Sleep. Ones who have fallen asleep in Jesus. You know what? That's how bad death is in God's eyes. He calls it sleep. When was the last time you were afraid of sleep? 
You're not afraid? You guys aren't afraid of sleep? No, you love sleep. You love sleep. You know what? You need to love this sleep. And that doesn't mean you become some kind of guy who wants to kill yourself. But it means you're not afraid of this. You, you, you love the idea of this. We'll talk about that in a minute here. Um, it's precious. The death of his godly ones is precious in the sight of the Lord. Um, now, some people, though, we know, will get to this condition over here. From this condition, they will skip death. And they will just be, boom, translated from this condition, immortal, or from mortal to immortal, perishable to imperishable. What is that event called that takes this believer and gets him over here without tasting death? What's it called? Rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, the dead in Christ will rise first. So these, these ones here, when you die in Christ, you get to go to the front of the line when Jesus comes back at the rapture. You go to the front of the line, and you're in the ground, and there is loud sound, there is a trumpet, there's a voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise. And then Paul says, we who are alive and are remaining will be caught up together in the air with them, and we will thus be with him always. So we will skip the death part if we are alive and remain when Jesus comes into the sky and reverberates the earth with a massive sound and the dead in Christ. And then we who are alive and remain, we skip death. And, and that's what I think 1 Corinthians 15, what we just went through, is all about. It's this perishable, just going to put on imperishable. In fact, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me help you see this. Watch how he describes it. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I told you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we will all be changed because if we're going to get to the kingdom of what he's going to do, this perishable has to put on what? Imperishable. This mortal must put on what? But how do I do that if I don't die? Well, don't worry. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. This perishable must put on imperishable. I think he's describing the rapture event in 1 Corinthians 15. So that's how you get there. You bypass death to be with Jesus. It's instantaneous. It's a physical transformation into a real body that's a spiritual body that that has physical elements like you can touch it you're gonna you're gonna have that body that jesus had in a moment or if you're dead in christ you get resurrected and what does god do when you are resurrected he takes your spirit that is with him and he takes a body and he somehow puts them back together he integrates them that's why we call it over in resurrection it's the integration of perfected inner man and a glorified body now he doesn't take that old it's not lazarus's resurrection lazarus got the same old body he was in and that one died again he ain't going to do that to you or me we get the jesus body that jesus has that one never dies you understand The dead in Christ first, and then the raptured saints. 
That's how you get to the heavenly man condition. Can I show you something in Philippians 3, and then we'll wrap this up. Philippians 3, verse, I'll start at verse 8 and really hit verse 11. Paul says, more than that right now, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's for him that I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And so that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that's derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul saying, I want this. I want this resurrection from the dead. I want to attain it. He's alive when he says that. When was the last time you said, I want that resurrection body? And when you say that you want that resurrection body, that means you are okay if you die. This is who we are in Christ. We're not afraid of death. We're okay if it comes even today and meets us in the highway on the way home. We're okay with it. Because I want to attain that body. I, that's what he designed for me. Because I can't inherit the kingdom of God unless I get that body. I want it. One other shocking event. Remember when Rick Holland was with us? John chapter 17. Jesus prayed that you would die. John 17 verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. Where is he going to be? At the right hand of God. And he's praying, Father, I want them to be with me. Why does he want us to be with him there? So that we may see his glory, which, you, which the Father gave to him. Because you loved him from the foundation of the world. Jesus wants us to be with him. He's praying that you will be with him. You're going to have to die. I'm going to have to die. Or be raptured. We don't need to be afraid of death. All right, let me kind of give you a couple of observations here in the last four minutes. Looking at your card. Okay. Unmixed in sin. Before Christ. Nothing in you wanted him. Nothing in you could, you could do nothing in you to, to, to change what you are. Over here, with Christ, unmixed, but not in sin. Unmixed in holiness, righteousness, Right? Pure, all the way through. Even when you get the resurrection body, no sin in that body. Okay? Right now, you're neither one of those two things. Right now, when you see yourself, two things can happen. Stand back in your life, and when you stand in your mind and you look back on what you were before Christ, be very encouraged. Be very encouraged because you are not what you were. And the old things have passed away. That does not mean, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old things have passed away. He doesn't mean that there's no influence of sin that goes on. There is! But what has passed away? What is dead that you can never go back to, guys? Tell me. What's dead that you can never go back to? An unmixed in sin condition. You can't. You can't lose that. Why would God let you lose what he crushed his son to get for you and then put his spirit in you for 
to help you live in. You can't go back. It's dead. You can't go back to what you were. You can act like an idiot. And you can be sinful. Yes, but you can never go back. So stand and gaze back on your life and marvel at the grace of God and the power of God through the gospel of God and the word of God to sanctify you daily on a powerful way through the spirit of God. Marvel at it. You are not what you once were. And then turn around and think about what you will be and what? Long. Long for this. Praise God I'm not what I was. I'm not what I'm going to be yet. I'll see him, and I'll see him as he is. Colossians 3, 4, and when he comes, I'll be revealed what I truly am when I see him. So you look back and you marvel, and you look forward, and you long. You long for what's coming. Now, this condition over here has no need to discipline itself. It has no desire. It has no ability to discipline itself to come before the Word of God to know the God of the Word. It has no desire. It has no ability. It has no equipping. It has nothing. This one over here has no need to discipline itself to come to the Word of God. Why? It's with God. We're with God. And all we can do is think about it. Enjoy Him. Delight in Him. Fear Him. Continue to obey Him. I don't, you don't have to work at it. It just happens. Why? Because everything here that was mortal and perishable and fleshly, we died to. This condition is the only one right here in which a discipline and build like, number one, the heart makes sense. Here's the case. Making the case from what God does when he saves a sinner that you must be in the word of God every day in order to know him and fight against your sin and to fight for obedience and holiness with him. This condition in the middle is the only condition in which this discipline makes sense. That is what we are doing in build. And you need to understand it. And you need to embrace it. And you need to live it. And you need to spend the rest of your days fighting to become strengthened in the spiritual discipline. And this is what we're calling the men of the church to. Men, get over here. Let's unify around this. Let's come to the word of God to meet with the God of the word so that we can grow in this mixed condition. We can fight against sin. We can fight for obedience to Jesus. And that's what we want to focus on the rest of the year together. Turn the fire hose off. But you can go home wet thinking about it. That was the number five, the conclusion, the discipline of shepherding your heart. You have to. Now, let me ask you this, guys. Do any of you just roll out of bed on every morning and you just find yourself doing this? Why? Well, honey, it was shocking this morning. I, when I woke up, I was reading the Bible. I, I, I was doing it before I was even awake. It just happens. It just... It's amazing the kind of guy that I am, honey. What a blessing for you to have married me. I just want to remind you of that precious truth there for you. Do you ever find that? It is not that way. Do you know what it is? Two quick illustrations. Skateboarding uphill. What happens if you take your foot off the board and just stand? What happens? Do you go the direction you want to go? Why do you go the other direction? 
because there is a force present on you pulling you. What if you do nothing with this discipline? What if you don't read your Bible? What if you don't expose your heart to the Word of God? Where are you going? That way. Why? Because indwelling sin. Swimming upstream. You're laboring. You, every breath you take, you're looking at the bank, taking a mark. Uh, that tree isn't moving. I'm not moving, but I'm late. Why am I working so hard? And I, well, I'm making a little bit of progress. Why is that? Because sin is what? Your sin, not just the sin that's in the world and your families. Your sin is pulling you back towards the waterfall. Now, what were you before Christ? That's all you wanted. It's all you could do. You didn't have any desire to change. But what did God do? I will save you. I'll pick your sorry self out of that water. I'm going to turn you around. Before I put you in, I want you to understand, I changed you. You are mine. I put my spirit in you, and my son is in you, and I've given you my word, and I've given you an equipping in Jesus Christ to now swim. I saved you for that. Swim! And we do. And sometimes we don't. But what we're going to do together is help each other. Fight for that. Does it make sense? All right, if you have any questions on this that have been arising, write them down, and when you come next time, um, Scott and Eric will answer them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your gospel and the power of it in our lives. Lord, when we look back on what we were without you, we are not what we once were, and we only have one person to thank for that. It is you. Thank you so much for being a God of grace towards sinners, a God of mercy, a God of power. Oh, but Lord, we, we are not yet the ultimate goal that you are aiming for in our lives. We have not attained it yet. We have to press on, as Paul talked about. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We must um, labor um, to say no to sin and to say yes to obedience. And it is so hard and we need you. We need you desperately for that. We long for the day when death will separate us from this body of death and we will have victory in totality with Jesus. In the meantime, though, God, would you please draw near to us and would you help us to help each other fight hard even today? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.